Welcome to Inside the Arc, everybody. It is Alec Bussey, joined as always by Brandon Semberg. We have a super fun show for you today. We've got lots of different things that we want to talk about. Um, Sam, we're going to talk about our future Big Ten tiers for the next five years, where every program is going to line up. We divided them up into four or five tiers. Excited for that. Fran Fischilla sparked a pretty intense conversation on Twitter this week about the effects that a 24-second shot clock could have on college basketball. So we're going to dive into that because we have different opinions on that. And then at the end, we are going to have a little draft of the top five restaurants in our opinions in the Champaign area. So if you're an Illinois student, Illinois alum, Champaign resident that listens to the podcast, let us know how wrong both of us are with our drafts of restaurants in Champaign. So, um, Sim, before we get started, though, I do want to rub in the fact that my Cardinals just swept your former baseball team, the Chicago Cubs. But now we've got another matchup of our two favorite baseball teams coming up this weekend between the Cardinals and your newfound love for the New York Yankees in St. Louis. Always fun when these two teams get locked up against each other. Yeah, no, I'm excited. And for the for the uh, listeners who think like the hell's wrong with this kid, how do you bandwagon the Yankees? I put some good money in them uh, futures in the preseason like they were my kind of preseason team and they've lived up to expectations so far. And like now that the Cubs kind of suck, like this is the team I follow along with. And like, you know, I watch them when they're actually on TV and, you know, I keep up with the scores of their game. So like, for those that think I'm a bandwagoner, like this probably isn't going to be a lifelong thing. Like I'll find some new team to wager on next year, but yeah, I'm excited. It should be a good series. Uh, I think the Cardinals are, uh, Oh, now they're actually tied with the Brewers. They are tied with the Brewers. After they just got swept by the pirates after trading their closer and like, arguably best player. I mean, Josh Hader. Is, yes. uh, so like momentum, you know, things are going well for the Cardinals, but so this is probably a big series for you guys. And yeah, it's a huge series for us. I think if the Cardinals take two out of three, it's one of those things where you feel really good about yourself. I mean, even though the Yankees are like five and five and their last 10 coming into the weekend series, um, and they've kind of struggled a little bit in the month of July and now heading into early August, they've struggled a little bit as well. But um yeah, it's a huge series because if the Cardinals can find a way to take two out of three, I think you're feeling pretty good about yourself considering well, it's coming after that. Yeah, they're, they're not taking two out of three, though. Come on. All right, so <laughs> let's make a little wager on it. We talked about this before the show. Um, all right, so if the Cardinals take two out of three, Sam, you have to eat a spoonful of ketchup on next week's episode. We'll make sure to clip that, tweet it out, so everyone can see Sam eating a spoonful of ketchup. And I will eat a spoonful of uh, yellow mustard if the Yankees take two out of three. And I'm not really feeling great about this because I think Aaron Judge is probably going to go off in St. Louis. He's, he's due. He has hit a home run in like a few days. Like that means Awesome. He's due. I'm sure Matt Carpenter is going to return with vengeance to St. Louis and hit more home runs this weekend than he probably did in the last three years when he was with the Cardinals because, you know, that's just what he does. Apparently now he's Babe Ruth. So, yeah, I'm not feeling great about my odds here, but I'll 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 take the bet with you. I'll eat a spoonful of mustard right. and I'll make sure to clip it. This, this will be fun. Yeah, no, like if you're if you're going to be just a listener to this show, like try to follow us on Twitter or YouTube, because like this is where you actually see one of us, probably you consume, <laughs> a, consume a spoonful of a condiment that they're not a huge fan of. So and we should make this a more regular thing. Find different things to bet on and find terrible things for us to have to do. Um, to make a fool out of ourselves, because that's always fun. Anyway, Sim, let's dive into this Big Ten tier conversation. I don't really know how this text conversation started between the two of us, but I ended up having a lot of fun uh, between it. And it was earlier in the week when we started it. And I think it kind of started maybe a little bit out of conference realignment discussion um, and just like where USC and UCLA are going to end up in the Big Ten when they join in 2024. Um, they'll join the 2024-2025 season. So there's going to be 16 teams in the Big Ten they need to change the name of it or call it something else because you just can't do that. But um, so what, when, I, when 14 teams were in it and it was the big yeah, 10, was that acceptable? Well, it, you know, it's been 10, I think since it started. And then it was the big 10 with the hidden 11 when Penn state joined, by the way, that logo sweet, the hidden 11 logo and the big 10 wording, that was a sweet logo. Um, but then it moves to the B1G logo, which we still have with Nebraska joining in like 2012. And then Rutgers and Maryland joined like 2014-ish. Um, so we've kept that same thing. But we we need some sort of alterations to the branding of the conference. Anyway, let's dive into this. I think we each have five tiers. Um, and there are a lot of similarity because I think there's just a common thought about how this is correctly done and how it's not correctly done. But uh, I do think that we should start with tier one because I think that's probably the best place to start and we can work our way back. Um, I had three teams in tier one. I think you had three teams as well in tier one. I'll let you kick it off um, with your three teams in that tier. 
Yeah, so I mean, this is, I think, as a broad scope, like this isn't like a power rankings for next year, largely because UCLA and USC are not in the Big Ten next year, but like in five years or throughout the next five years, like which, you know, which programs are going to be the consistent top of the Big Ten, like when you, you know, who's going to have the most wins over the next five years and maybe make the most noise. So it's kind of like a future projection and an outlook on that. And uh, yeah, I have UCLA as my number one team and heading tier one. You know, I think when Mick Cronin took over there, I was not concerned with him as a game coach because of what he did at Cincinnati, even though it's not a great style of basketball. I was a little bit concerned as a recruiter. And like three years into his uh, tenure, I've actually kind of flipped on that statement. Like he's recruiting really well. Like I was worried high major or big time players from California wouldn't want to go play for him. That's just not the case. You know, they have two five stars this year in Amari Bailey and Adam Bana. They had Peyton Watson last year. He's recruited the transfer portal pretty well. Johnny Juzang, Miles Johnson have been key players in the portal. So in terms of an ability to construct a roster, you know, it's UCLA. It kind of recruits itself. California has become a basketball hotbed. Like, I just think there's always going to be talent in the area. He's had no problem getting it. I think he's could have, you know, he his coaching hasn't actually been great to me. Like they but they've been good and they win, they win games. And like maybe I'm just expecting UCLA to be like a legitimate title contender every year. Because they can be. And like for me, that's why they had tier one. Like they just their upside as a program is just higher than anyone else's in the Big Ten. And I think Cronin can get them a high enough floor where like once they join the Big Ten, they'll consistently be the team to beat. Yeah. And I really like what you said there about it kind of recruiting itself. I think that that's a program that it, in general, like you can kind of, you don't need, like you should recruit nationally when you're at UCLA, you're at North Carolina, you're at Kentucky, you're at Duke, you're at Kansas, right? Like you need to recruit nationally. But there's so much talent in the California area, the Arizona area, that UCLA doesn't really need to go super far east to find talent right and i think that's a huge advantage for them um with how talented teams are out west so i do have ucla in my first year as well and i like what you said about cronin and maybe just maybe having a little bit more to prove in terms of like in-game actual coaching but i think that program is really stable right now like he seems to be really happy out there obviously there was maybe some rumors last year about him like leaving for louisville which I don't really think ever picked up too much steam, but that's just such a solid program. And I feel like its floor is higher than just so many other programs in the Big Ten. Like to me, their floor should be no worse than that of like what we've seen from Ohio State or what we've seen from, you know, in Iowa or maybe even a Wisconsin in the past decade. I mean, Wisconsin was really good in the last decade. So maybe that's a little bit higher for a floor, but I just think that they're, a really strong program and historically speaking they're one of the best so they should be in that first tier i'll move on i have illinois and michigan running out my top tier i think what you have to understand with michigan and obviously this is probably gonna upset a lot of our listener base having them so high but juan howard's such a good recruiter and he's put together a really good talent base there they have a really good young core coming in this year highlighted by jet howard juan's son um and then they also just have a really good history of now landing guys in the portal the last couple of years. And I think that's really important, um, especially as we kind of move forward into this next five, 10 years of college basketball, being able to be successful in the portal, but also being able to balance that on court. And that's one of the reasons why I have Illinois in my top tier as well. You look at the last three years, obviously Illinois has been the best program in the conference over the last three years, more wins than anyone. I think it's like 44 or 45 or something like that over the last three years. Illinois obviously is recruited at a top 10 national level uh, with their 2022 class. Uh, they have been more successful than anybody in the transfer portal as well in the Big Ten. And I think that's really important because you're going to have guys leave the program. And how do you replenish that? And Brad Underwood, I know, has a good history of landing guys in the transfer portal that have been impactful and maybe even elevating them a little bit more than what they anticipated with guys like Alfonso Plummer. And I think you could even say Jacob Grandison exceeded expectations in his Illinois career as well. Yeah, I mean, I, so those two teams also round out my first here. I have the order flipped, but I think it's um. Well, I don't know if that was like your order. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't say it's my order. I would probably put UCLA first, and then I think Illinois and Michigan are probably like a two A two B kind of situation where they've been so close the last couple of years, where it's hard for me to put one over the other. Yeah, so I have them. I have Michigan two, Illinois three, but you know, pretty close. It's for me with Michigan. It's just 
when Michigan is in on a kid, I think it strikes a little bit of fear in you when you're the opposing fan base. And like Illinois is starting to get there, I think, especially with like when it's a Tim Anderson guy, and it's like, oh, he's going after Ty Rogers. You know, like Michigan State fans will be scared the next time Tim Anderson <laughs> wants a guy that they want. But there's just some like level of fear when you know Jawan and Michigan are in on a guy. Um, and you know, last year was obviously a down year, but I think in hindsight, we didn't realize how hard it is to replace Franz Wagner, Mike Smith, Isaiah Livers, and Chandy Brown, you know, just three super seniors, I think, and then one stud uh, sophomore. They, they replaced them with a bunch of freshmen, and, like, that was probably a harder task than we realized, and they struggled a bit in the Big Ten. But they still made some noise in March, and, you know, they lost Frankie Collins, but I like their 2022 class a lot. Jed Howard, Taurus Reed, Doug McDaniel – all strike me as guys that are going to be there for a few years and be the core of what they're building as this is probably Dickinson's last year. Maybe Kobe Bufkin breaks out. And yeah, I mean, I think Underwood and Howard have established themselves as the two best recruiters in the big 10 as of right now. Um, and probably two of the best transfer portal getters as well. And the portal is almost as big as recruiting now. Like, yeah. You don't need to land five stars if you're getting big time transfers. So for me, just th those two, their ability to get players, whether it's in the portal and recruiting, will just helps, you know, set them up. Even when like, you know, Illinois lost five stars from last year. There's no IO, there's no Kofi. They're still projected to be a top of the Big Ten for a reason. So that says a lot to Underwood's team building ability. And that's why those two round out my top tier because I don't trust any of the other coaches to do what they do on that consistent level. Yeah, and here's to me where it gets really interesting as we move into the second tier, because I think there's some movement for some of these programs to kind of move up into the first tier. So my second tier includes Indiana, USC, Purdue, and Michigan State. And I kind of want to start with Indiana, and you're obviously the Indiana expert here on the show, right? But like, it's hard for me to put Mike Woodson and the Hoosiers in the top tier, because it's a program that has really kind of struggled really since Tom Crean was fired. And really for the last decade, they weren't like Indiana basketball or the, what we think of when we think of Indiana basketball. So he does have to get them back to that level. And I think in his first year, he kind of achieved his main goal of simply just getting Indiana to the NCAA tournament was like a big accomplishment. And then obviously you kind of throw in the win against Purdue. Obviously that's a huge thing as well for them. And then you throw in the fact that they've got a top 10, top 15 ranked recruiting class highlighted with, you know, one five-star in Hachifino, another really high four, five-star caliber player in Renault. And that's a really good starting base for him. And I think it's one of those things where Indiana's kind of flirted with a bubble a lot over the last 10 years, I would say, especially the last five, six years, where now you kind of need to elevate and be a consistent tournament team, kind of like what we saw Brad Underwood do in his time once he got to Illinois and rebuilt it. And I think what Woodson inherited at Indiana was so much better than what Brad Underwood inherited at Illinois that he was able to start a little bit better, but now he needs to continue it. And year two is huge for them as they might be the big time favorite heading into the year. So I've got Indiana in there. Um, and then Purdue is just a team that I think is uber consistent. I don't think Matt Painter's, ever leaving that program for another job. I know there was the rumors about Mizzou, however many years ago that was, but I don't see Matt Painter leaving. And Michigan State's a program that a lot of people are probably like, wow, that's not in your top tier. Tom Mizzo has something to prove to me with the way that Michigan State's trended the last two, three seasons. They've been disappointing the last couple of years. Um, they flirted with a bubble a couple of times and he had, failed in the transfer portal objectively this past season. So that's concerning as well, but he is starting to land some high talent um, on the high school ranks with Xavier Booker. Um, and then Jeremy fears, obviously in that 23 class. So that's showing like positive momentum over the last week that I think if we had this conversation two weeks ago, maybe we're not as confident about what the Spartans might be. And then USC is just a really, really, really consistent program under Andy Enfield out there in Los Angeles. And I think it's a school that doesn't get a lot of attention for its basketball success. One, because it's a football school. We think about USC. We think about Lincoln Riley. Now we think about Caleb Williams, college football playoff national championships, right? Like we think about all of those things and we don't realize how good that their basketball program has been over the last decade or five, six years. So that's something that has USC in my second tier. And I think it'd be really fun to see UCLA and USC kind of battle it out for Los Angeles supremacy in a big 10 conference. 
Yeah, I think you summed that all up pretty well uh, as the resident Indiana fan on the podcast. I think this is a prove-it year for them. You know, th- this is the year that – Woodson's year one, he hit expectations. They ended the tournament drought. They beat Purdue. Check, check. Um, he's shown He's shown he's a good talent. You know, he can grab talent as well. They had the number one uh, recruiting class in the 2022 class in the Big Ten. He was able to retain Trace Jackson Davis and, Ray, and uh, Race Thompson – for a fifth year, you know, Tamar Bates is a guy who's a five-star in 2021 who maybe takes a leap this year. So this is kind of the prove it year. Like they have to, they obviously have to make the tournament. They have to be up in the top of the big 10 and like Woodson, you know, now for me is, is Woodson, how well, the how good of a game coach is he? Can they find shooters, things like that. And I think they have tier one, even though he's a little bit older, I think they have tier one potential. I agree. But I also think that, if things don't go well this year, I'd slot them down to tier three and be like, they couldn't really do it. Like do anything special this year. Like now trace is gone. I don't know how much, how much better they can get. So I think this is a big prove it year for them. And they're probably the most volatile team uh, to me in these rankings. And yeah, so USC heads, my heads, uh, my second tier. And again, like you said, it's a football school. Nobody really pays attention to them as a basketball school, but Andy Enfield's been at USC nine years. Um, and after kind of two rebuilding years, like just two years prior to him taking over, they were six and 26. So it was a you know a bigger rebuilding job than people realized. And they've won 20 games, I think seven out of those eight years, multiple tournaments, obviously made the elite eight uh, in the 2021 tournament. And it doesn't like, it, like UCLA, it does kind of recruit itself as a school because it's California. And Enfield is consistently getting five stars and future NBA players, but he also gets, you know, good transfer portal players. Boogie Ellis from Memphis will be a key starter for them this year. Uh, friend of the podcast, Drew Peterson from Rice is another transfer player. So I feel good about Enfield's ability to get transfers and get five stars. And he's a good game coach. Like I think they will fit the mold of the big 10 really well because they like to play big and they like to maybe slow things down a bit, and they defend. So I think they'll do really well in this league. And then, yeah, like you said about Michigan State, I was out on them uh, until the last two weeks when they got Xavier Booker and Gary Norman to surround Jeremy Fears. And, you know, I still like, – Izzo's not inability to recruit the portal. It is a big deal. Um, and I do think as a game coach, he hasn't been as good. Like, Great. they – the talent hasn't been great the last few years. I mean, a that that's on him, but like still, I would expect some better results from Mister March and the best coach ever. Blah blah blah. Um, so I have them in tier two, but they're towards the bottom. I put Purdue at the top of my tier three, and I think for me, it's the fact that they just don't recruit get great, and they also aren't great in the portal, and that's why I'm a little scared. In terms of like developing three star and four star guys, Painter's maybe the best at that in the league. Like Jay Ivey was a four star, Trevin Williams was a five star, Zach Eady was like damn near a no star. Which I mean, that yeah, was, he was like in the three four hundreds or something <laughs> crazy like that. That you know, Carson Edwards wasn't a big name uh, recruit. Caleb Swanigan, may he rest in peace, was not like a big name recruit. So I know Painter will turn, uh, kind of meh recruits and guys you won't be too excited about into good players and he's a great coach and they have a great home court i just you know they had ivy and trevian and and and, uh Edie and couldn't really do anything with it like i'm not sure what the ceiling is with them yeah i think my thing with purdue is i just throw a lot of blind faith at them to be in the top like five six group of the big ten as it currently stands so i don't really know why i would change my opinion on that as it expands to 16 teams and Maybe Purdue isn't one of those teams that competes for a conference title every year, but I think they are a very consistent NCAA tournament team that could go to the Sweet 16 on a regular basis. So that is why I have Purdue in my second tier. And it's hard for me to not put them above like schools in my third tier. But things that you kind of said there about the way that they recruit makes me feel like they were, they identify more with the third tier of teams that I have which includes Wisconsin, Ohio State, Iowa, and Maryland. And if I were to, like, name this third-tier group, I would probably name it 
one of these teams is going to compete for a Big Ten title every year, but I don't know which one. And I think that kind of shows how different they all are, right? Like Wisconsin, you kind of think slow it down, half-court pace, um, not the highest touted recruits, but develops talent really well. They're a lot like Purdue in a way, but they play a little bit of a different style in terms of tempo and things like that, right? But they're uber consistent. They've probably been, I would say, the second best program in our lives in the big time behind Michigan State. When you think about NCAA tournament success, when you think about conference success, I mean, I would have to go look more at the 2000 to 2010 era and compare that to what Michigan did in that time. But Wisconsin's right there with Michigan State in our lives in terms of the success they had. So I have them in my third tier. They've won a conference title two of the last three years, which is just kind of wild to say because I don't really feel like they've been that good the last two, three years. But um, Ohio State is a really interesting one because like, I think Ohio State is kind of a lot like USC where football school, you think of them more as a football school and the success they have on the gridiron compared to what they have on the basketball court. But when I think of Ohio State, I think of a better basketball program than I do USC. And maybe it's just that they're very similar schools in terms of the profiles that they have on the athletic fields. But I think I trust Chris Holtman as much as I trust Andy Enfield. And maybe this kind of goes to continue to show like one of these teams is going to compete for a Big Ten title every single year. And I just don't know which one it is. And then I feel the same way about Iowa, right? Like I know Illinois fans hate Fran McCaffrey and think he's not a very good coach. And like there's a whole Fran fade thing that comes at the end of every season. But like Iowa's been a really good program the last three, four years. And I have no reason to believe that they're going to fall off. They had a lottery pick this past year with Keegan Murray. I think that they have a potential lottery pick again with Chris Murray. They have other good pieces. Tony Perkins is a good piece that I really like. And I just think they're a really consistent program. And that's really important. And then I have Maryland here as well. If they can just find a way to land talent in their own backyard, they should be really good. So that's up to Kevin Willard to do that at a high level. And I don't know if the Terps can consistently do that. But their floor to me is so much higher than the other five schools that I have left after this in my tier four and tier five. So that's why I had to put Maryland in tier three. And I didn't want to make a tier just for Maryland. Yeah, that's fair. I have Maryland tier four, um, but I'm kind of starting to regret it as you talk me through it. You know, Kevin Willard at Seton Hall has been really solid. Like they made the tournament uh five out of the last six years there was a tournament and they would have made it there. Be- I mean, he, his best year got ruined the miles Pollier by COVID. So yeah, Willard's a coach that just kind of wins games. I think he'll do a better job than Turgeon. And even like this year, kind of starting from scratch, they've compiled an okay roster where it's like, they're not going to be a tournament team, but they probably won't be awful. I just, they I don't know how long the bubble. Yeah. I, I just don't know how long it's going to really take them to, like get up there. That's kind of like, I, you know, I know that Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio state and Purdue, which is my tier three. And it's the tier of like, I know you're probably not going to suck. I know you're <laughs> probably going to be in the top eight. Like, you know, that I just, these schools aren't like recruiting like elite five stars or mixing it with elite transfer guys. Like, but Ohio, Ohio state just had a top 10 class. That's why I struggled to place Ohio state. For me, with Ohio State, it's like you had three years of EJ Liddell, and you didn't really go anywhere with it. You had EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham on the same team, and, and Dwayne Washington the year before. Yeah, like that's a, like I just I, for some reason it's just not clicking with Holtman, and like but they're they're you know they've been up there in the Big Ten, like yeah theoretically like Ohio State should have been better, and if things go their way the last few years, maybe they're a tier up, but maybe Chris Holtman just isn't like that great of a coach. Uh, which might upset some people because I feel like he has a lot of fans. And then, yeah, I think what you said about Iowa is spot on. Like they're, they're always going to be flawed because I feel like they just don't teach defense in practice. <laughs> um, there's like, there's always going to be warts with them, but yeah, there's they're, like those, those are the group of teams that are always pretty competitive. And then you feel like on a given year, one of them is near the top, whether it's Iowa in uh, 2021, Wisconsin 2022, Ohio State's been flirting with there. Purdue flirts with there. Like those teams, one of them usually breaks through. One of them maybe has an off year and is like on the bubble. And the rest are pretty consistent tourney teams. So that's why they're the we're not going to suck tier. Yeah, I just think it's a tier that 
is a cons- is a group of three, four teams that is consistently in the NCAA tournament. And I think this kind of goes to show the depth of what the Big Ten is going to be, right? So, like, I have five teams left um, in my tier four and tier five. So I we just rattled off 10 teams that we think are essentially going to make the NCAA tournament basically every single year. Like, that's an incredible depth. And I realize the conference is expanding and it's had years where it's gotten, you know, seven or eight. I forget how many it got. Um, the year Iowa and Kofi were running it and were one seed, the 2021 or 2020-21 season, was it eight or nine? Like, there's going to be years where the Big Ten gets, you know, 10, 11, maybe 12 teams in the NCAA tournament. And th- there's going to be a reason for that, right? But I think there's a consistent nine to 10 that should be, at the very least, on the bubble every single year in the in, in the NCAA tournament. And I think we kind of named those. And now we can kind of get to tier four, tier five. And I have Rutgers and Minnesota in tier four. And maybe this is throwing too much faith at what Ben Johnson's doing at Minnesota. But I just feel like Minnesota is a team that should hover around the bubble. I'm not saying you need to get in the NCAA tournament eight out of every 10 years or seven out of every 10 years. But if you're Minnesota, why can't you qualify for the NCAA tournament like four or five, maybe six years every 10 years? Um I don't understand why that's not possible for Minnesota to achieve. And then I have Rutgers there too. And maybe this is throwing too much faith at what Steve Peichel has accomplished the last couple of years, but they've made the NCAA tournament a couple of years in a row here. They have a brand, they have a culture, and that's really important. And it's hard for me to not put them. It's hard for me to put them in a group below with three programs. who I just think are bottom of the barrel, awful schools to be a basketball fan of because I just don't think it's easy to be successful there. Um, so I have Rutgers a step above Northwestern, Penn State, Nebraska. That's my fifth tier. Yeah, so my tier four is Maryland. You know, for those reasons I said earlier, it's – and, like, Maryland, again, of these tier – like, of these lower-tier teams for me, like, Maryland has tier one, yes. 1.5. They have tier one, 1.5 upside – I'm just not sure at what point they get there because I don't think it'll be in the next five years. Uh, yeah, Rutgers to me is like the most interesting in the bottom feeders because Steve Peichel is clearly the best coach of this group. Um, Absolutely. I know there are a lot of coaches, just the X and O's guy and a game coach in tier three too. He's a good coach. It's just a really hard job to win at and he's done it the past few years, but now gone is like the core of Ron Harper, Geo Baker, I think is Mulcahy back. Yeah, Mulcahy's back. So is um McConnell. Yeah, and and Amarui. Yes, um, who like, I think isn't being talked about enough going into this year. Yeah, he's going to be a really good player. So like you have like a decent core, but like Baker and Harper were your core, and it's you know Rutgers is is never going to be a one and done uh, NBA factory. It's a tough place to kind of get elite transfers at. So he's really got to win on the margins here and get three-star guys that will stay a few years and develop and buy into his system, get transfers that fit, you know, his system because he's not landing like Oscar Shiba here. And I think it's possible. That's why I have him in tier four. But, like, it's tough. I'm really curious to see how this year goes and then kind of the years following because they have some momentum now. This is, like, the peak of Rutgers basketball. It, this is the peak of Rutgers basketball in our lifetime. And Absolutely. So – you know, it's important to capitalize on it because if they kind of lose this and go back to being Rutgers, like then they're at the bottom of tier five for me. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think my tier five is just the three worst jobs in the big 10 and the three hardest programs to be successful at. And that's Northwestern, Penn State, Nebraska. Like Northwestern has made one NCAA tournament in their entire tenure. Chris Collins should have been fired after this past year, but for some reason they kept him. Why? I don't know. They, for some reason, they think they're going to get better with another year of Boo Booey and Chase Adij in their backcourt without a future NBA player and Pete Nance now playing in North Carolina. So somehow their administration thinks that they're going to be better without that. Uh, Penn State has just like never been good. Like I think Michael Shrewsbury is a really good coach. I think he's good at connecting with kids. I think he could recruit. But then I think if he finds any success at Penn State, he's going to bolt and he's going to leave because you can't win at Penn State long term. Like that's just too tough of a place to win. Um, and then Nebraska, I think, is just an awful job. Um, we've seen Fred Her- Hoiberg really struggle there in his entire tenure. Um, and that's just a terrible place to have to be a basketball coach. 
Yeah, I, I think that for the bottom tier teams, adding USC and UCLA is just it just makes things harder. Like there's just less, like, you know, there's just less like cheap win. Dude, there's there's just more losses on your schedule. Like I really think that in terms of the realignment, like this hurts the bottom tier, you know, even though your revenue money or whatever is more, this hurts the bottom tier teams. It's gonna be like like you said, we named 10 teams we think are like pretty consistent perennial tourney threats. Like how is the 11th team in the Big 10 going to crack in? You you know, you have to really you have to really elevate your program here and I think like the top is going to start to eat the bottom. We'll always have Big 10 cannibalism where like a Tuesday night in Penn State and Michigan State came out flat and they lost to Penn State. Like we'll always have that, but like those programs aren't going to be able to do it enough um over a 20 game schedule with UCLA and USC added. So, you know, I, I think Northwestern, like you said, Collins is probably not going to be there long. I have no idea what Nebraska is doing with Fred Hoiberg or like where that's going. They like restructured his contract. So his buyout would be less. It's like yeah, the same mantra they followed with Scott Frost this past year. On the is, he, is he the coach there in five years? Probably. No, absolutely not. Um, yeah. Shrewsbury. The next like, coach they hire the next coach there in five years. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Like, probably not. Um, Shrewsbury <laughs> is he there in five years? If they're like, if they're if even he, relatively, if they're relatively good, probably if, not. If they make the tournament two or three years in a row, he's leaving. I think if they make the tournament once. He's leaving. I, I think if they, if he can get Penn State to the tournament once, some other school will poach him. Yeah. What? Like what? Yeah. Like you're talking. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Someone yeah. would at least call because he's showing that he can at least recruit a little bit. Yeah, so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be rough for the bottom tier over the next few years. And the it's been rough for the bottom tier for a while. You know what else has been rough, Sim? Having to watch programs like Virginia and Wisconsin um, run their horrible half court paced offense with the thirty second shot clock. How you like that transition? That that was good. That was Thank good. you. I appreciate it. Okay, so let's give some credit here to I think one of our favorite like color commentators that ESPN has, he does a lot of big 12 games for Fischilla, former coach. I don't really know where he coached at, but he speaks like a coach. I know he coached somewhere. Um, he sparked a conversation on Twitter while watching, I believe the U18 euros, which is actually what Zach Perrine has been playing in, um, in France just lost. So he's done, but he lit it up in terms of points, rebounds, whatever. He needs to be a more consistent shooter. There's your Illinois roster update as he plans to join the team in later August. That's your one Illinois roster update that you're getting on this episode. <laughs> um, but for Michelle, sparks a conversation about a 24-second shot clock needing to be implemented. And I think he was speaking mostly to college basketball in the United States, but maybe expanding a little bit more on that is what you and I want to do. We got into this really long conversation um, at 11.30, 12.30 at night, which is what we tend to do at least once or twice a week about basketball. I was a proponent of this idea. You were a little bit more hesitant for it. I just think if you do this, kids are going to adapt and kids are going to um, eventually become more skilled and the game is going to become more entertaining to watch because it's going to be a more entertaining brand where the ball doesn't stick. You don't have as many ISO situations where you're going to have passing, you're going to have players more skilled getting to the basket. It's just going to be a more, it's going to be a game that's played the way basketball was designed to be played. And when it's really entertaining, it's played that way. Um, and I think your big concern with it is like, why would America change? We're already the shit. Why would we change? We win the gold medal and everything. So why are you against this? Yeah, I'm against it for a few reasons. Well, one, to me, this just, um, this reemphasized a fundamental core difference between me and you. Like, <laughs> I'm a pretty easily satisfiable guy. Like the big question was like, for me, my big question to you was we love college basketball. We watch it all the time. Like it's all we talk about. Yes. We have concerns with it. And yes, there's ways to make it better. But like, I don't think at, at any point was I like, ah, man, like the shot selection is killing me or there's too many possessions. Like for me, that wasn't one of my concerns. Like I, I love, I just, I love college basketball at its core and like, do I like watching Virginia and Wisconsin? No, not at all. <laughs> to me, that's that's part of what makes college basketball college basketball is that you have differing st- differing styles and like, you know, coaches can mold their program a certain way. And like, 
it, it doesn't like it's not that it doesn't work. You know, Virginia won a national title kind of playing with a super slow pace, and Wisconsin's been a good Big Ten program playing with a slow pace. And like Loyola is a huge X's and O's team, and they've had success. And I think that if you cut six seconds off the shot clock, it just it takes away from the core of college basketball, which is the differing styles. Because I mean, teams will still play different, but Virginia, Wisconsin, and Loyola, and you know, they can't be those programs. And I think that like that hurts the game a bit because I think that, you know, in the NBA, there's differing styles, but it's not to the degree that there is in college. And I think that's what makes it fun. Yeah. So if your argument against this is that college is basketball, it's that college basketball is awesome because it's unique and that everyone does their own different things and finds ways to be successful while doing that. I wouldn't argue with you on that. I have a hard time arguing with that because I do agree with that. Like, I think it's really cool that you can turn on, you know, someone like Kentucky who has a lot of athletes, but still kind of plays in a traditional sense a little bit where they still have post-ups with bigs. Like, I think that's kind of cool, but then you can also turn on a program like, I don't know, like Arizona last year, like the way they played was super entertaining. And I think America like fell in love with that Arizona team because they were so fun to watch in the way they played. And I don't know. Like, I just think that basketball in general is more entertaining when it's played with movement and it's played with space and it's played in different ways that force kids to actually be like good at the sport at multiple things where like, if you have a 24 second shot clock and you have someone on the court who legitimately, who legitimately can't shoot like that player is a huge detriment to what you want to do. And obviously that's true with the 30 second shot clock too. But if you have a 24-second shot clock, you kind of need everyone on the court to be able to do everything offensively because you don't know if they're going to get stuck with the ball at the end of the shot clock and they need to get a shot up or they need to find an open man on a screen or a short roll or whatever it is to get a shot off. And or that didn't make sense, like, handling the ball and getting to the rim and finishing at the rim. And, like, I think if you develop all those things, that's great for the sport because then everyone just gets better and it elevates what we all watch. Like, I don't understand why you couldn't see Wisconsin or Virginia just use 22 of the 24 seconds and a program that plays faster like an Arizona or like an Arkansas or Alabama use five to 10 seconds of the shot clock. Like, I still think you can still have some of those principles, but at the same time, I think you see the overall floor of the game be elevated because you're going to see so many more talented players and skilled players on the court. And I think that's a good thing. I just, I think that with the 24 second shot clock, you want to see ball movement and like spacing. I think it could go. I think it could go the other way. I think we're going to, especially early on, like the growing pains early would be bad because there would be a lot of possessions that end in like, Oh wait, we had six last seconds. Okay, Geo Baker, please hoist one from thirty feet. We like don't have an offense, and and you know what? Those um, are gonna go in like steps do every now and then. It's gonna be entertaining. Um, <laughs> but you just said you want to see the ball move. Like I think we're gonna get a lot of those possessions early on, and the reason it works in the NBA is because those guys are so skilled that you have five seconds left in the shot clock. Like there's just so many guys in that league you can feed it to with five seconds and be like, go get a bucket, and that's not necessarily the case in college. And I know, like like you said, if we start this earlier and we get guys, you know, we implement the shot clock thing earlier, it could lead to some positive development. But I'm just not worried about the development of American youth basketball right now. Like we still are other countries catching up. I honestly don't know. I think great players are coming from other countries as the world expands. Like we're getting Jokic's and Doncic's and Wembenyana's. But I think those guys are just, you know, freak basketball players yeah and i don't want it i don't want to be the guy that says that those guys are what they are because of the 24 second shot clock because i think that was kind of a thing that was mentioned on twitter and i'm not going to be one of those people no i think like those guys are all you know when is a freak with his body luka and Jokic are like two of the smartest players i've ever seen so it's like it's a lot of outstanding factors but i just don't want to mess with the development of american basketball right now and it's like the eybl has a shot clock the uaa and adidas have a shot clock and I think it does help kids like get ready for college, but um, I think every high school in America or every high, high school uh, game in America should have a shot clock, even if it's 35 seconds. Like I agree that stuff helps, but I 
like the way the college game is now, I don't want to see a few years of growing pains as we get it down to 24. And like, could could Gonzaga and Duke play a 24 second shot clock game? Yeah. Could you know Kentucky, North Carolina? Absolutely. Could like IUPUI and uh, Chicago and State. State? Yeah, IUPUI and Chicago State. Like that would hurt those programs too because those kids are not professional basketball players. Like I think Fran Fischella was comparing um, the like the you know the Euro some of the Euro leagues like the top college teams. And I agree, those top college teams are like similar, but the guys on the guys on like low mid majors are just not professional players. They probably couldn't handle it. And I don't want to have like twenty four seconds in the ACC and thirty seconds uh, in the Missouri Valley. Yeah, no, I think that that's a very good way to look at it. Like, if you think that mid major conferences aren't going to be able to handle it, and those players aren't talented enough to handle it, then like don't do it. Obviously, because you do need an even playing field. Because once you get to the postseason, it needs to be even. So players aren't adjusting and programs aren't adjusting to a totally different set of rules. And I think this does expand. And you made a really good point there. Like high schools need a shot clock across the United States. Like we're both from Illinois, right? I think there is a shot clock maybe coming into Illinois high school basketball. I'd have to look at that up. Uh, But I think I remember reading that that might be happening. But we all have watched – Illinois high school basketball teams hold the ball for a minute, a minute and a half at certain points in the game on an offensive possession. And that doesn't help anyone. Like that doesn't help kids offensively develop. It sure as heck doesn't help kids defensively develop because you get lazy by the end of it. And you're like, I just want to get back on offense or I just am tired of guarding or you have a lapse. Like that doesn't help anyone. And I don't think that that is how, the game is meant to be played. Like the game is meant to be played with ball movement. People talk like basketball is the most beautiful game because of the ability for people to move and the ball to never stick and those things. Like that's when basketball is at its best. And it's really frustrating when you go watch a high school basketball game anywhere and someone holds the ball for a minute, a minute and a half. Like that's hurting kids. And that's not even good coaching. Like put together some sort of scheme to score within – 35 seconds and if you can't put a scheme together or score or shoot within 35 seconds then find someone else to coach because you're not if you, don't have, if you don't have one player within 35 seconds who can beat your man and create yeah man. like if you don't have that then find someone who can coach a team to find that because that's not that hard to do like you and i could coach and i don't even know x's and o's of basketball like you could go coach a high school program and get a shot off within 35 seconds without a doubt at any level I, I think so. I, I would just look up like good quick hitters, Spain pick and roll. Um, what country? Know, Spain pick and roll. Oh, so who are you? Who are you stealing from? What's the shot? Clock hey, they there? have they have good X's and O's. They do have good X's and O's, but the the European game needs good X's and O's because they don't have like the freak young athletes that our country has. And like you instill those, if you instill those concepts into our country at a young age. It would make for better team basketball, but I think like part of the reason guys develop into stars is because a guy like Anthony Edwards can just get the ball in his hands and learn how to kind of be a star and always, you know, always have the ball. Like, I think it goes both ways. I think it would help, you know, it it would help like the base of the country and like role players all around the country, like become better basketball players, become smarter. But I think we have a lot of stars and they just, those are guys that need the ball in their hand a ton. Like, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about like EYBL Trey Young, and if he was like playing in like a a system, like that wouldn't be great for him. He became Trey Young. But don't you think Trey Young would adapt? But I don't think he like him get him getting the ball in his hands and being able to try crazy shit and run a ton of pick and roll and you know take some crazy shots. I think it helped develop like who he was as a superstar because that's kind of what he does now in the NBA. I don't know. I just think that if he's playing an equal opportunity offense, I don't think that helps him as much. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true, but I think it helps the game. And my goal is, like, help the game, not help individual players. And not to sound like an old man, get off my lawn kind of thing, but, like, I'm the type of person that wants to see, like, no one person is bigger than the game of basketball. Wow, that makes me sound old. And I am 23 now. So You, you do sound like an old head here. I'll give you that. I don't think – do I really sound like an old head? I think you do because, like – I don't want to sound like an old head. I'm saying, I'm saying give Anthony Edwards the ball every time and let him, like – 
attack high pick and roll and get to the rim and like don't make him play an emotion offense. And you're saying you want to see the ball swung. And like I agree if it's you know role players like hey high school me would have loved playing in like a European style system, but I'm not Anthony Edwards. I don't know. I just think it would be better for the game overall. And I think players would adapt. And I think it would also force coaches to like actually like develop things and like get creative and it would just help the game overall. Um, so that's how I, that's how I feel with it. And I understand that there's people who do feel differently with it and that's okay. It's, it's, it's a complicated situation. And if you implement a 24 second shot clock and it blows up in your face, it's hard to go back to a 30 second shot clock, but I don't really remember there being a huge issue when college basketball went from a 35 second shot clock to a 30 second shot clock. The issue is that there seems to be a really big difference between, you know, 30 seconds and 24 seconds compared to 35 seconds and 30 seconds. Yeah, I like don't I agree. I just kind of remember like one day younger me was like, oh, it's 30 seconds now. And that was that. But I that's six seconds between 30 and 24, I think would make a big difference. And because by the time you get the ball over the half court line, it's 20. I think you'd start to then you like you see teams like fake two two one pressing to at least like make you burn six seconds to get it over. All of a sudden, like we're at 18 uh to score. Like it, it would be tough. It could be de- developed, but again, fundamentally, I'm a I'm a satisfied person. I love college basketball. Like if I want to watch the most skilled, you know, quicker game, then I will watch the NBA. But like I like college for the fact that it's not that. Yeah, I I feel like that's a really good way to like wrap this up is that if this turns college basketball into the NBA, I think it would turn a lot of fans off because I think there's a lot of people who don't like the NBA because it is the way it is. But I also think that there's a charm with college basketball that the NBA will never have. And that people who go to a certain school will always watch that school or they'll always have some sort of association with that school And the environment of a college basketball game is just fun to watch. You know, it's fun to watch North Carolina going to Cameron indoor and see the camera crazies going berserk, or it's really fun to see everyone in Allen Fieldhouse just jumping up and down in what looks like a sea of blue. Like that's just really cool. And that's something that doesn't exist in the NBA. And that's something that it can never duplicate. So if, if your argument is you want to keep college basketball unique from what goes on in the NBA and what goes on across the country or across the world, I guess I should say in basketball, that's fine. And I won't argue with that because I love what it is, but I just think there's ways to make it better. And maybe there's other ways to make it better that smarter people than I am can kind of figure out. Yeah. Figure out the block charge. (laughs) Yeah. That's That's... being at the top of the list. Good call. there. There we go. Speaking of list, uh, we each made big boards for, uh, best restaurants to eat at in Champaign. Um, mm-hmm. At first, we were going to restrict this to just campus, but then I felt like there wasn't enough places that you and I both like going to on campus. Um, I feel like a lot of my top picks here are not going to be from campus, but like that's okay. You know, when your parents like come to visit or like you can go somewhere nice, like that's kind of when you can explore these places. And like you lived like kind of by the downtown area last year. Yeah, I did as a junior, so like yeah, it's. Um, the, you know, it's champagne students eat, you know, on Neal Street, on Prospect, in downtown, in Urbana. So I feel, you know, I think it's good that we expanded the list. Okay, I agree with you. I put together a list of like 15 restaurants, and I think I'm going to beat you on this list Um, in the draft. How do we want to determine who goes first? Uh, And are we snaking this or are we just doing trade-off? Oh, that's a good question. I feel like we should snake it. Okay. Do we want to expand this past five? I could go on no, five. I only want to take five because I'm going to be getting to like regular things. Like I tried to be a little bit interesting here. Okay. So we're going to go five. All right. Let's snake it. I'll five let you rounds. Go first. Okay. I'll okay. Start. Fine. You want me to go first? I'll go first. No, I'll start. I'll okay. start. All right. With the first pick uh, in the first ever Inside the Arc Champagne Restaurant Draft. I'm going to take Watson Shack and Rail in downtown Champaign. Wasn't even um, on my list. It's a, well, it's it's probably never been there. <laughs> never been there. It's my favorite place to eat. Uh, it's a shame you haven't been there. It's just like I didn't go until this year. Elite like fried chicken place, chicken and waffles. Um, yeah, it, to me, it felt like a really authentic like chicken place, and people have always been hyping it up to me. I'd never been, so I'm taking it with the first pick. I probably should have drafted smarter i had a feeling you might not have taken it but uh yeah that's my first pick 
Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Black Dog first. I'm a big fan of barbecue. Their sides are incredible. Um, you can get platters, you can get sandwiches, you can get plates. I think their barbecue is pretty good. So I'm going to go Black Dog first. I've got a good bar too, good beer on draft. Um, it's always pretty busy. So I'm going to go Black Dog first. Was that Let's on your back. It was on the board, but a little bit lower down. So. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to go with a burger type-ish place second. I'm going to go Farron's. Um, love their burgers. Phenomenal. It's not the biggest menu. So if you want a big menu, maybe don't go Farron's, but I'm a big burger person. Now I got sandwiches and I got barbecue with my first pick. I got Farron's burgers, good salads, good French fries um, with my second pick. So I'm going to go Farron's with my number two pick. Good picks. Again, they, they were on my list, but both a little bit lower down. And now I feel like I'm going to grab two staples here, two program guys, two everyday guys. Uh, I'll start off with Mary Ann's. Oh, that was on my list. That's the kind of the classic champagne uh, diner spot. But like, I feel like throughout my college career, which I guess was only two years in champagne, I would have, like, I wouldn't just eat it for breakfast. It's it's a breakfast spot. I mean, they have some burgers, but Are it's you a place. Suggesting to- you were going there at, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning or. No, I'd, I'd never been that late just because I didn't live that close to it. But like, I would go like it maybe for dinner. Um, so, you know, I just, I like going there for the, like, I think good coffee, good omelets, pancakes, waffles. It's just, it's an old school diner and I love the vibe of it too. And I like sitting down in there. So that's number, that's my second pick. And that wraps up the second round. In the third round, first pick, I'm gonna go with another staple here. Papa Dell's. Oh, um, darn. I had that on my list. Yeah. It like, I feel like anytime there's a huge football, you know, NFC championship game or start of the year, like Papa Dell's with some friends, order a, you know, a big pie or two. It just, it it's, it's, it's great pizza. It's my favorite pizza in Champagne, And it just, I feel like it helps encapsulate a moment. So I'm going Papa Dell's. Okay. So I'm going to pivot with my pizza pick and I'm going to get more value with my pizza pick than you did. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Mia Zaz. So I'm going to campus and getting me his eyes. I'm going to get sandwiches, one of my favorite foods, warm sandwiches, good meatball subs, um, meatball marinara kind of things. Mia's eyes is phenomenal for that. Uh, got good pizza. I wouldn't say I'm not someone who loves Papa Dell's. Like, I don't really think their deep dish is the greatest thing on the planet. It's kind of doughy for me. I like deep dish, even though I'm from the St. Louis area. I was going to say, you're from St. Louis. Who's making I like deep dish. Okay. Like deep dish is good, but I don't think theirs is the greatest. Uh, And then I don't think their regular like thin crust is anything to ride home about. Like it's good. Um, And I feel the same way about Miyazawa's pizza. And by the reaction there, you had Miyazaz high on your list and you wanted to pick that. Yeah, I had Miyazaz a, a top two, three round grade. Just what what a versatile establishment that yes. is. I mean, like that, but because you did not take uh Papa Dell's or Marianne's, I shifted. But I, I had a high grade on Miyazaz, and they would have been my next pick had you not taken them. So I think you have another pick here. Yeah, I do. I'm gonna go um Aspen Tap House. I need bar food, I need Oh, my second round upset, Sam. Let's yeah, go. You, just, you just took two of my um my top picks. I thought about taking Aspen Tap House first round because I thought you would take it. I love bar food. I love American eateries. You talk about, you know, big menu. They've got wings. They've got burgers. They've got sandwiches. They've got chicken. They have literally everything. Tons of TVs. Good environment. I liked it before when it was Scotty's. It was more of like a sports bar kind of feel. Now it's more of like a western kind of feel in there with i don't know some of the decor has changed but yeah i go aspen tap house with my second pick all right so to round it out i feel like i don't know if you'll have this because i don't know if you like this kind of food but i'm going with co-fusion uh you can go you like sushi but i wouldn't have picked it yeah i'm i'm a sushi guy so i'm gonna add it and i from like from my estimate it's the best sushi place in champagne you can argue uh, like prices and stuff, although they do have a dollar pieces day, which is like kind of what I like to go. So you can argue like Sakanaya actually had the new Sushi Man place, which is on like green and third. That I think is like okay and like good bang per value. But I'm talking like, you know, your parents are in town or you just got a raise or maybe you're trying to take a cute girl out for sushi. Like this is the spot for me and I'm a huge sushi guy. So that's why it's number four. And then I'm kind of going on the other end of the food spectrum here, but like, it's a college town, so I feel like I have to include one of these places. So I'm going with a, a maybe like post bar, 
you know, post night out spot. Oh, do not, don't say it. Well, so I'm not going to take, I was thinking Vinny's for this, but I'm not going to take okay, Vinny's good. because I already have a pizza spot. And I'm trying to get versatile. You know, I can't. Okay, have I thought you were going to say Vinny's and I don't think Vinny's is very good. Um, I was, I, it was gonna, I was gonna take Vinny's, but I didn't take Papa Dell's for my pizza spot, but you know, I can't have two non-shooters in my lineup. Like we got to space the floor. It's, it's 2022. Uh, so I'm going, I don't, I don't know if you like this one, but I'm going with, uh, taco burrito King to me. Like that just encapsulates like burrito like, King is awful. I don't see I, that for me. That's always burrito my King is I, awful. I thought about DP dough, but again, uh, too much pizza, but dude, I just, I love burrito King. Like when I'm. After a you know, couple drinks or like a night out at the campus bars, Burrito King is like one of my top spots. Burrito King or chopsticks, but I'll pick Burrito King. Okay, so with my last pick, I am really struggling here between two places. One of you mentioned one chopsticks. There is not a better late night um walk home food on campus than chopsticks, in my opinion. Like the chopsticks is amazing. It's in my top three, but you know, it, it, it's up there for me. I was close to picking it. So I, I understand it. Um, Yeah. It's like a, I just don't know if I love like the, that kind of cuisine after drinking. Like, I don't know how it sits in my stomach. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Um, I try to avoid going out too much after I've been out, Uh, but I'm going to give you a better burrito place that you probably haven't had. Um, La Bamba, it's off campus. Burritos as big as your head. It's been around forever. It used to be on campus. It's where my parents used to always go. My dad loved it. They got me on it when I was in junior high, high school. Phenomenal. I didn't go there a ton when I was in school because it was farther off campus. It's on Mattis, I believe. So I wasn't trying to drive all the way over there. And two, it's really unhealthy because it's a burrito as big as your head. But if we're going to get Mexican, which I don't have yet, I'm going to go La Bamba because their burritos are a really good comfort food. And I like it more than maize um, for Mexican. So I'm going to go La Bamba and I definitely got the better Mexican place. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, now that I took burrito King, like I wish I maybe looked at a cactus grill or an El Toro. Ooh, yeah. Like, I feel like I missed out on some of those, but I was going for like, you know, after a night out where it's like cactus grill and um, El Toro, I'll go like, you know, maybe pick up from and, but no, there's that's the thing about champagne food is I feel like there's a lot of good like Mexican and a lot of good different places to get a burrito or a taco. I like the taco truck too, which like not really like a restaurant, but good food option. But uh, yeah, that completes our draft. So I'll I'll go through my roster again. Do we want to do a best of the rest, or do we want yeah. to do our rosters? All right, let's do let's do our rosters first. Go yeah, ahead. So I have Watsons, Shack and Rail, Papa Dell's, Marianne, CoFusion, and Burrito King. Alec, you have? I have Black Dog, I have Farron's, I have Aspen Tap House, I have Mia Zaz, and I have La Bamba. Yeah, two two pretty good rosters. We should put this out on Twitter. Yeah, well, I will. I will for sure. Um, um, so, yeah, go vote on it. It'll be on Alec's Twitter uh, that I'll retweet as well. And go vote on whatever roster you think is better. Okay, and then best of the rest, I think we have to include Chopsticks because neither of us took that. We both mentioned it. Um, I would like to include Seven Saints. I feel like we should have included that, but we didn't. Um, if we're talking about comfort food, you mentioned DP dough. I would have taken DP dough for sure. Um, if we expanded this, I'm not a huge DP dough person, but if you're talking comfort food, it's hard to be DP dough. Yeah, for me, uh, super niche food that I've gotten into in Champagne is like a poke bowl. So I like That's Kung Fu tea. Um, I like their poke bowls. Like Chipotle is a staple. Like I hate to like. Yeah, I didn't wasn't a draft. Absolutely a staple of campus. But like, it is like you go to Chipotle anytime during the school week, during like remotely close to an eating time. You know, like that line is huge. Um, this one is a little further away from campus, but like Oishi is the kind of hibachi place that it's not super close. Like, I don't know if it'd be. I don't know if it's draft eligible, but I feel like that's like a another good spot. So those were. <clears throat> Some of the ones on my list as well. Uh, another place on campus, Legends and Joe's both have good food. Um, nothing super special there, but it's a perfect like college bar. You can throw uh, Murphy's in there as well with like college bar, bar food. I just think there's other places to go if you want that kind of stuff. Uh, another good one, if we're talking, I think it's more of a chain that we didn't talk about is Meatheads. I don't have Meatheads here meathead is good it's expensive but it's good 
Yeah, I, I would have class my first semester. I have class like kind of by that area, and I do the drive for lunch after like once a week maybe. It, it is, it is good. Yeah, I like meatheads. Um, I also like so this is a place. This is a chain that I don't have at home, but Moe's like the the Mexican place. Yeah, another place. But like I don't have that at home, so at school if I can, I'll try to go there over Chipotle because I get Chipotle over home. I I like Moe's a lot. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Good take there with Moe's. Um, yeah, I feel like we covered a lot of them. So I feel like we did a good job. I'll put the I'll put the I'll put it out and we'll see who wins. I feel confident in my draft. I feel more confident in my draft than I do the Cardinals this weekend making me avoid it. Um, yeah, I think you did a good job of drafting to like I think you know you were in Champagne for four years. I was only there for two. So I think with you going with um Ferens and Black Dog, like you might you might hit an an, an audience there that and La Bamba. Like you I think you'll hit like the right audience where maybe I can get the new generation of kids. So we'll see. All right. Well, tune in next week so you can see one of us eat a spoon of a condiment that neither one of us particularly cares for too much by itself. Uh, go Cardinals. Hopefully, Sim has to eat a spoonful of ketchup. I could have made him do peanut butter, but that would have likely led to some returning of the peanut butter. So we won't. <laughs> uh, but thank you for listening. Let us know what you think of our drafts. Let us know what you think about our tiers. And uh, we'll be back next week for another episode of Inside the Arc. Thanks for listening, everyone.